Praise God. Well, I was going to say, that was a fun video, wasn't it? That's pretty cool. All right. So have you ever been a part of a community or been around a community that you didn't really feel like you belonged to? Like you're there, you try to act like you're in the group, but you're not really, and you feel really uncomfortable? Like you're sitting there like, yeah, I'm with these guys, but not really. They don't know who I am. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's like groups of people hanging out, and you're just trying to find a group to fit in with. Well, I had an experience like that when I was in first grade. So, um, yeah, so when I was younger, my mom was very passionate about trying to get me to try everything. Okay, I was supposed to be in every single activity, played every sport, football, baseball, basketball, wrestling, like anything you can think of. I was in band and choir. That was later in middle school. But also, my mom got this great idea when I was in first grade to try cheerleading out. And praise God, cheerleading is for boys and girls. So, so hear me out on that. But for first graders, a lot of times boys don't do that. That's just the way it goes. So for me, I sign up for this camp, this cheerleading camp. It's after school. I'm really excited about it because my mom's talked it up to me. And I go to the gym. There's a bunch of girls with their thing in their hair. I don't know what it is, like the palm thing. I don't know what that is. But uh, whatever that's called, I don't know. But they're all like giggling and laughing, and they're so excited for cheerleading camp. I walk in, and they look at me. It just gets quiet. They're all looking at me, and I just walked straight out the other door, <laughs> and I called my mom, or I went to the office at the school, called my mom, she picked me up. I never did cheerleading again, but the reason I share that story is, one, to just be funny, but also because I think a lot of times we feel that way in the communities we're in. Maybe you're in a classroom. I've been in classrooms before where I feel like everyone knows each other besides me, and I'm like very awkward and like, oh, do I say anything in class? I feel like everyone else is friends. Or maybe it's at a Christian group. Maybe tonight you felt a little awkward when you got here. If you're new, that's pretty normal to, f- or to feel awkward when you first come to something. So hopefully you'll give us another chance and you won't feel awkward in the future. But uh, that happens. When we try to be a part of communities, that happens. We feel, sometimes we feel like we're not a part of it. Sometimes we feel like we don't belong. Sometimes we don't even understand what the purpose of a community is, what a certain community is. And tonight what I want to do is a couple of things. One, I want... To, to cast vision with you about what this community of Chi Alpha is for. You know, we come, we sing songs, we do it every week, we, you know, do a sermon, but is it all just because we're supposed to do it, because churches do it, and, and we're an extension of the church on the campus, so we just do it too? Is it just because, or is there a reason why we meet every week? Is there a reason why we have small groups? Is there a reason why we do all these events that you probably already forgot, because we've announced like six things tonight? Is there a reason we do these things? And yes, there is, and I want to kind of cast vision with you tonight for why we do the things we do, but then also I want to encourage you to jump in to what God's doing. I want to tell you that this community is not for the few that, that seem to be in the core that have been around for a while, but this community is for the entire campus of UNI and also for college-age uh, students around the Cedar Valley, and we want you to feel like this is your community as well. The people of God on the earth, uh, the representation of the kingdom of God on the campus of UNI, my prayer for you is that you would feel like you're a part of this community or that you would get plugged into a different Christian community. So I'm not stingy. If you want to get connected like somewhere else on campus, that's great as well. Like, like they're all worshiping Jesus as far as the Christian ministries. Go for it. Jump in somewhere. But my prayer is that you would jump in somewhere where you can be fully known, a place where people know who you are. You don't just kind of sit in the back and you know, slip and listen to a sermon and get out. But instead, people fully know you. People know who you are, but at the same time, they truly love you. That's what we're going for here at Kyle that each person in this place would feel like they can be real and authentic, they can be their real self, like whether or not 
they're going hard after God or not. They feel like, hey, I can be honest here. But at the same time, you're fully loved, no matter what your struggles are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you believe, that you would, uh, in this place, that you would know that you're fully loved. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, that book is between the Gospel of John and the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament, in the back third of the Bible. It's also going to be up on the screen. And and what we're going to do in Acts chapter 2 is read the first description that the Bible gives us of a Christian community. It's the very first Christian community, and they give us a description for what that church looked like. And the title for tonight's sermon is A Biblical Community, because that's what we want to be. We want to be a community that is based off the scriptures, a community that is an extension of what's been going on throughout history in the church. We want to be like the early church. So something we do in Kyle is we believe that if the early church did it, then God calls us to do it as well. We believe that you know, the book of Acts is truly our blueprint. The book of Acts is the story of, of the church right after uh, Jesus left. And, and uh, it's the story of how the church got started. And, and here at Kyle we want to be like that first church. And there's times throughout church history where things got corrupt and things got twisted. There's even times recently where things are twisted in the church. I mean, actually, no, that's true. There's times that the church isn't like, really the true church of Jesus Christ in the world. So for us, we can't look to culture. We can't look... Even in church history, although we do, you know, glean from tradition and history, but the main thing we look to is the book of Acts, where it's the very first church. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is where we're going to be reading. And if you remember the last two weeks, if you've been here, we've been in the book of Acts. So we, in two weeks ago, we were in, or actually in Acts chapter 2 as well. So we read this story, okay? So Jesus is, is leaving the earth. And Jesus tells the church to wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, before you can go and make disciples of all, nation, or of all nations, you need the Holy Spirit. And specifically, you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard of that, maybe you haven't. But two weeks ago, we talked about that. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, and, and Jesus baptizes the believers in the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist prophesied, and he said, Jesus is coming, and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that's not baptism in water. It's something different. It's something that happens after salvation where the Holy Spirit fills you in this supernatural way. And this happens in Acts chapter 2. And Peter, the apostle Peter, who journeyed with Jesus for three years and was a timid man, he denied Jesus three times. This man gets filled with the Holy Spirit and becomes a different person. He preaches the gospel in a way that I have not seen in history. He preaches the gospel with power and authority, and against opposition. And then 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus that day. Verse 41 says this of Acts chapter 2. It says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing that happens. And then, so there's 3,000 new believers, and there's the first disciples, which was like 100 people. And now they're trying to form this church. The church says, expanded all over the globe today, and it's all over in every continent. But this is where it started in verse 42. So let's read that verse 42 through 47 as we see what the church looked like at the very beginning. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had together, see the word together for this series? All right, anyways, that's not why I named it together, but anyways, 
and all had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, so every day they attended the temple together, all right? So we can't complain about once a week on Tuesdays and once a week on Sundays, all right? Day by day they attended the temple together and they broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's a beautiful picture of the church. The church sometimes doesn't look quite like that today, but my prayer for our group, for Chi Alpha, is that God could help us to be that picture on the campus of UNI, to be that church that's described in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 on this campus. And we're not a church, we're an extension of the local church, we're a campus ministry, but God has called us to be a community that's formed in his likeness, okay? So let's pray together and we'll get into the sermon. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for everyone who's here tonight. I thank you that you brought them here to spend a little bit of time with us. And, and God, I pray that tonight that your spirit would have his way. So Holy Spirit, I ask you specifically to speak tonight. God, I pray that my words would not be heard, but the Holy Spirit's words would be heard. And God, I pray that you would speak to us each in the way that you want to speak to us individually. I pray that each of us would have an encounter with you tonight. God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for what you did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's get into it. So the main idea tonight is this. I always give a main idea because I know some of you want to take a nap during my sermon. So, but I want you to get something out of it. So if you get something, here's the big thing. We are called to follow Jesus together in devotion to four things. His truth, his community, his spirit, and his mission. His truth, his community, his spirit, and his mission. So tonight we're going to look at four commitments that God has called us to have as a community. You know, we're starting this series called Together, as you saw on the video. And the hope for this series is this first week that, that God would help us to draw a big picture of what he's called us to be. And then the next two weeks, we're going to dive more specifically into what he's called us to be. We're going to talk about being a welcoming community. So to be a community that, that just welcomes people no matter where they're at, no matter where they're from. And then the third week, we'll talk about how God has called us to be a community who's there for one another, like no matter what happens. But tonight, we're going to do a big picture biblical community. We're going to talk about just what this community looks like. And the way we're going to do that is by casting vision for four commitments that I believe that God wants us to have. So the first commitment is this. We're devoted to the Word of God. So we're devoted to truth. The first activity that the author Luke, so the author Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the Book of Acts. It's actually one book, but the Gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus, and then the Book of Acts is the story of the first disciples. So and the author of Luke, the first thing he attributes to that first church is a commitment or a devotion to the apostles' teaching. So verse, verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. So the apostles' teachings uh, just would have surely included Jesus' teachings while he was on the earth. It, it would have included the Old Testament because they believe that the Hebrew Bible was their Bible as well. So the Old Testament the Hebrew Bible, it's the Jewish scriptures. They believe that that's our scriptures as well. And it also would have included their teachings that the Holy Spirit inspired them to give that today are in our New Testament. And today we have the privilege of having Jesus' and the Apostles' teaching and the Old Testament all in this beautiful book called the Holy Bible. It's the best-selling book in history. All right? Praise God. Cool. I don't know. But anyways... But like that first church, we should be devoted to these scriptures. We should be devoted to the apostles' teachings. 
But more specifically, we should be devoted to the word of God as revealed in his scriptures. As followers of Jesus, this word has to carry weight on your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, then you're off the hook, okay? Whatever you want to do, you can do whatever you want. But if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus calls us to submit to this word. It should sit over top of us. Like everything we do should come under the scriptures. We should submit to whatever this book says. The first disciples, the first church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. The word of God is reliable, it's unchanging, and it's solid truth that you can lean on. For those of us who believe that Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus is the Son of God, we believe that he rose from the dead. Okay, we believe that he rose from the dead. That's pretty crazy. He was dead in a tomb for three days, and then he rose from the dead. So we believe that. So if that's true, then I think God can be trustworthy enough to preserve his scriptures and to give us a a communication to tell us how to be the church. If Jesus defeated death, then he can surely give us a, a truthful word. Don't you believe that? He can surely do that. So the scriptures need to have authority in our lives if we're a Christian. Second Timothy 3.16 says this. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's all profitable. There's nothing that's out. It's all profitable. Like you have to interpret it correctly. Okay, so there's that piece. But, but it's all profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And you may say, okay, okay. You know, maybe the original scriptures are reliable. But how do we know that the book we have today in, in 2017 is the same thing that they had back then? How do we know that these are truly these apostles' teachings? How do we know that the scriptures haven't been tampered with over time? And that's a good question. I'm glad you asked it tonight. I was prepared for it. Or maybe you asked, why didn't we include the other books? Because there's this crazy book called the Gospel of Thomas out there. You hear about that? Maybe like two of you did. But there's other scripture, or, or not scriptures, but books that were written around the time of the New Testament that claimed to be authoritative. So why did the church leave those scriptures out? Why? Those are good questions. You're really amazing. Thank you. So the first question I'm going to answer is this. How did the church choose which books to put in our Bible? Because they did it around the fourth century. They chose the books that were going to be included in our scriptures. It wasn't like it fell to heaven. The Bible did not just float from the sky, and they're like, thank you, Jesus. No, they had these books, and then they chose them. They said, these are going to be our scriptures. So there's four criteria that the church had to decide if it's going to be scripture. The first thing is this. It had to have apostolic origin. So it had to be either attributed to an apostle, which is someone who saw Jesus or walked with Jesus, or to one of the apostles' closest companions, okay? So it had to come from the apostles. The second thing is it had to be universally accepted. So the question is, was this book acknowledged by all the major Christian communities at the time? Like, were they using it? Which leads me to the third thing, liturgical use. That's the third thing. It had to be be used in their church services. So these scriptures were already being used in the church services. They're already being used by the church. They knew that it came from the apostles. And the fourth thing is this. It had to have a consistent message. So one of those gospels, I think it's the gospel of Thomas. I'm not sure because I didn't look this up and I should have, but I'm just going to say it. Jesus is like a little boy and he's like zapping people and killing people. Okay, that's probably not consistent with what we read in the other gospels. And the gospel of Thomas was written actually in the century after Jesus was on earth. So I'll talk about that a little bit. So in summary, though, in order for these scriptures to make it in our Bibles, it had to be attributed to an apostle. 
It had to be accepted by the Christian community at large. It had to be used in the gathering of the believers. And it had to be consistent with other Christian teachings. That's why Thomas wasn't included. All right, so, okay, great. So the other church had this process for, for choosing their scriptures. And we can have confidence in that because it's pretty thorough. But the next logical question is, how do we know that the books we have today in our Bible are the same as what they had originally put in? How do we know that it wasn't tampered with throughout time? How do we know that this, these scriptures were actually what those apostles taught? The beautiful thing about the Christian faith in our scriptures is the evidence is actually on our side. If we use the same criteria by which we judge other historical works, the Bible is not only reliable, but it's actually more reliable than, the other, or than any other comparable writing in history. So there's a slide here. We're going to throw it up. Oh, it's already up there. So the first thing is this. The first reason we know that these are trustworthy is the New Testament books were all composed within 70 years after Jesus' life. The earliest text, 1 Thessalonians, and you'll hear this. If you take a New Testament class here on the University of Northern Iowa, this is what he'll teach. I took this from my notes from that class. So this is a secular scholar teaching this, okay? I'm not giving you just a Christian warped view. This is from a secular scholar. Okay, anyways, 1 Thessalonians is written in 49 CE, so 19 years after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. That's really early, historically speaking. And the last text, which was probably Revelation, was written in 100 CE, so still very, very close to the time of Jesus' life, 70 years. Very close, historically speaking. For us that are 20 years old, 25 years old, we're like, that's so long, but it's really not that long. You know, 70 years ago, what is that? Someone do the math. Like 1947? That's not that long ago. That's really not that long ago. So that's the last text. Okay, the second reason is this. Let's put it up there because I forget. All right, some texts can be dated to just a few years after Jesus' death because there's certain creeds that actually came into our New Testament that were already being circulated in the church within the first couple years after Jesus uh, was on the earth. You know, a couple examples are 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 8. You can go there and look at it sometime, not tonight. And then Philippians 2. These creeds about Jesus and his divinity and about his resurrection, they were circulating within the first couple years after he left earth. So that's not long enough for this myth to develop. Because some people say, oh, the Bible's myth. They made this stuff up about Jesus. When he walked the earth, he was just a prophet, and then they made him into God. That's not true because these creeds can be dated back to within a few years after Jesus walked the earth. And if that's true, that's not enough time to completely change his story. People could say, hey, he's in that tomb over there, but he wasn't in the tomb. And there's other people who said they saw him in the flesh. So there's an empty tomb and then people saw him in the flesh. If that's true, there's like 500 eyewitnesses, 1 Corinthians says. And then there's an empty tomb. There's no way to explain the resurrection. That's why actually uh, secular scholars, if you take the New Testament class here at UNI, They'll skip over the resurrection. They have no good explanation for it. So there's that. You're in a little class. All right, so there's a third thing. There's a shorter time between the first manuscripts. So the first time that they wrote down these scriptures, there's a shorter time between that and then the surviving copies we have. So the truth is we don't have any of the original manuscripts. We don't have any of the first writings, which would be incredibly hard to preserve those writings, those very first ones. But we do, or do know that there's writings or there's copies of these original writings that were just a couple hundred years after those first writings, which is earlier than any other historical work. I have some specifics in here. Let me see what I said. So for Julius Caesar, okay, this, co- this ancient work, there's 10 copies, and the earliest one is from 1,000 years after he wrote it. And that's something we consider to be true. 1,000 years. The Bible, there's 
5,000 copies. There's 5,000 manuscripts floating around, and the earliest ones are within 200 years after the first ones are written. Does that make sense to you? You catching that? All right. So I think that was the fourth thing, too, if you throw out the fourth thing. Greater amount of manuscripts than any other ancient work. All right, so I'm going to take my professor hat off now, and now we're going to get back to the heart. But I wanted to give you some backing. Christianity has a lot of evidence on its side. Don't be afraid to explore these questions. The Bible is reliable. The Bible is truthful. God has done, or done something supernatural with these scriptures. We can trust these scriptures. You know, many of the problems in the church today, you know, many of the problems you see in the news about the church being weird and not being biblical, it comes from not knowing the Bible. It comes from not knowing the scripture. So I challenge you as the generation that's coming through college right now to say, I'm not going to be biblically illiterate, but instead I'm going to know the scriptures. I'm going to cling to the scriptures. I'm not going to make up my own form of Christianity, whether crazy, crazy far right or crazy, crazy far left, but instead I'm going to do biblical Christianity. Does that sound good? That's what we're going to do here at Chi Alpha. And also, there's some things in our church today where people just kind of go by what they feel. You know, we go by, you know, what's our heart tell us? What's our, our mind tell us? Well, Proverbs 16, 25 says this. It says that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. So we can't really trust our gut when it comes to trying to determine truth. We have to have something that can keep us grounded. So I pray that as a community that each of us would anchor ourselves in the Word of God. Let's do that. Let's anchor ourselves in the Word of God. There's a hunger for truth in our world. There's a hunger for God, and the world is looking to us to lead them to that truth. The world is desperate for truth, for something real, for something solid. And as Christians, if you're a Christian, we need to to cling to the scriptures. We need to be real. We need to be genuine, but also we need to be countercultural, we need to be bearers of truth. We need to say, God's truth, we cling to that. We commit to that. So I pray that on Tuesday nights you come here and you be eager to hear from the scriptures, to hear from the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, I'm going to do whatever I can to give you a good teaching. I'm not going to give you some little motivational talk where you feel good. No, I want to give you the scriptures. I promise to do that, but I want you to come hungry, come ready to learn, come ready to or to ask questions, and then in your small groups to do the same thing, to just eat of the word of God, to devour it, and to say we're going to commit to center our lives around these scriptures. All right, so the second thing we're going to be committed to, and that's the longest point by far, so we'll get through the rest of these really quick. The second thing is we're going to be devoted to the people of God. We're going to be devoted to God's community on the earth. So we're going to be devoted to truth, and we're also going to be devoted to community. We need each other. We need each other. You need people in your life. You need people. You can't just do life alone. You can't say, hey, for church, I'm just going to you know, watch it online. I'm not going to go anywhere where I have to actually see people. I'm just going to pray on my own. That doesn't work. That's not how the New Testament paints a picture of the church. It's not like everyone did their own spiritual thing, and maybe they come together at Christmas and Easter. No, people were together day by day. They were together. It says in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. You know, breaking bread, eating B-dubs is holy. Amen? Come on. And they, yeah, that's all I was going to read. And then Acts 2.44 through 46 says this, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common and, and they were selling their possessions. Whoa, selling their possessions? Well, we're Americans. We don't do that. Come on. You know, American dreams call on my name. No, you're called to sacrificially give to those who are in need, to take care of people in the body of Christ and also outside the body of Christ. 
Verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful picture? They ate food together. They attended the temple together. Like, I want to see you guys just linking arm in arm, coming to Kyle, all excited. You're attending the temple together. This isn't the temple, but it is Lang, which is pretty cool. You know, Martin Luther King spoke here, so it's pretty cool. All right. That was random. All right, anyways, let's keep moving. God has called us as a community to be deeply committed to one another. He's called us to spend time with one another. So if you just hang out on Tuesdays in small groups, that's cool. You know, that's cool that you do that, but that's lame. Come on, have some fun on the weekends. Hang out together. Guys, girls, whatever, play video games together, but not a lot, not too much. Okay, that can be unholy, but you can play a little bit of video games. You play sports together. Girls, you can... Go, I don't want to be stereotypical. You can, I was going to say you can go to the mall. That's really stereotypical. Okay, so I'm going to move on. You can play football together, girls. All right, come on. All right, John 13, 34 through 35 says this. Jesus is painting a picture of sacrificial love. He says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, and you also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The greatest witness to a watching world is a church who loves one another. That's why I hate Facebook debates among the church, fighting for the whole world to watch. And I don't think any of you really do that from what I've seen, but don't do it if you thought about it. Like you're tempted. Like I'm tempted sometimes. Like I'm about to go to battle. But the Holy Spirit says, you're stupid. Don't do it. You know, love one another. That's going to be our greatest witness to a watching world. And the worst witness is when the church fights with each other or the church is unbiblical. Love each other. Be sacrificially committed to one another. And I love the way that the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. If you're going to be around Kyle at all, this verse will be shared a lot because we love it a lot, but I'm going to read it for you. It says this. It says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were, or we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves because you had become very dear to us. I pray that you could say that about each other. Like, I took care of you. I was gentle with you. I'm affectionately desirous of you. I love you. And I don't just share the gospel. We don't just study the scripture. Like, we're not just going to be beating you over the head with the Bible. Like, get this truth. That's not what it's going to be like. We're also going to just love each other and share our lives with each other. We're going to do goofy stuff together. We're going to go to McDonald's at, like, midnight because it's open. And it's the only place it's open. Praise God. We're going to get McFlurries, whatever. We're going to go to B-Dubs on Tuesdays after Chi Alpha. We're going to do game nights, even if the games aren't that fun, but just because we want to be with each other. That's the way we want to be. We want to really share our lives with each other. So I pray that you jump into that story. I pray that in college you wouldn't just say, I'm going to get my degree and get out of here. But I pray that you'd make friends that are going to last you for a lifetime. And I pray that you'd make friends that are Christians, that are following Jesus, and that you would be able to have them in your wedding. That's my prayer for you guys. I pray that over you. I pray that there will be students in this room who are in each other's weddings. I'm praying for that for you. I pray that you'd be that deeply committed to one another in friendship. But it, the way this happens is through being a part, you have to show up. You have to be here on Tuesdays. You have to be part of it. And, you know, if you're not here in a week, that's fine. I'm not going to judge you. I know that stuff happens. Things are going on. But if you're not actually coming every week, then it's hard to actually know the people that come here. If you just come once a month, it's really hard to build a friendship. Tuesdays, I said this to our prayer, our prayer group before service. I said that on Tuesday nights, the most important thing that happens is the conversations that happen in the seats. It's way more important than what I'm doing right now, although I believe in the preaching of the Word of God. And I believe in the worship. I believe in that. But I believe that the friendships that you make are the things that are actually going to change your life. I believe 
friendships that are centered on Christ are things that actually will change your life. You'll probably forget the sermon by tomorrow. That you know, saddens me because I spend 12 hours on this thing. But you'll probably forget it. I know that. But those friendships, you can't just forget those. You can't just forget when someone comes up to you and gives you a hug that you don't know, and you're like, why is he hugging me? But it feels really good. I enjoy it. That's the way a lot of guys feel, I feel like. I pray that as a group, we'd be committed to this community. We'd be committed to this. And we know that each person has a role. Even if you're not preaching, even if you're not doing worship, you have a role. Just being here and smiling and giving someone a hug, that is important. That is important enough. You're the MVP. I believe that. Like the person who goes out and talks to people on a Tuesday night and helps them to, to feel welcome, you know, helps ease that awkwardness that you feel when you're new, that person's the MVP of Kyle, but not me and not the worship team. As much as I love the worship team, I love preaching. It's my favorite thing to do. But I pray that, that you would jump into that and that you'd understand that you're important and you're valued and there's a role for you here at Chi Alpha. So Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not, neg- and not neglecting to, or to meet together as is the habit of some. See, uh-uh, Paul, or not Paul, whoever wrote this. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, by the way, but, but he's saying or she's saying, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Some of you are feeling convicted. It's okay. I forgive you, and Jesus forgives you. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stir one another up. Don't neglect meeting together. Encourage each other. If you're not here, you can't encourage anybody unless you send them a text, but that's not as encouraging as a friendly handshake or a high five or a hug or whatever. All right, so we're committed to the Word of God. We're committed to the people of God. The third thing, and this is what kind of makes Kaiapha like a little bit different. We're kind of weird in this way, so just bear with me. I'll explain it. I explained it two weeks ago. But Chi Alpha is committed to the Spirit of God. We believe that if it happened in the book of Acts, we believe that if it happened in the Scriptures, we believe it can happen today. So we believe in things like speaking in tongues and prophecy. Like God gives us words to share with each other, like words from heaven to share with each other. We believe that people are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are given a prayer language. You speak some language that you don't know. And that sounds completely weird. But the Bible's pretty weird. Have you read it? It's really weird sometimes. And we believe that God's called us to be a little strange. Like, not where we're weird for, for just being weird's sake, all right? Like, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to scare people away because we're just strange. Like, no. But if God has given us a gift where we can upbuild each other, where we can build each other up and get closer to him, then I want to use those gifts. So we believe in these things called the spiritual gifts. So Acts 2, 42 and 43 says this. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Signs and wonders, those should follow those who believe. So if nothing weird's happening, then maybe we're not doing it right. If people aren't getting healed, then maybe we're not doing it right. If people aren't speaking in tongues, maybe we're not doing it right. If the body of Christ is not being given prophetic words to encourage the body, and it's not just a preacher up here, if that's not happening then like, maybe we're not doing it right. Signs and wonders will follow those who believe. I believe that if it, if it happened in the scriptures, then it can happen today. I believe that God has given us the Holy Spirit, that he baptizes, or Jesus baptizes believers in the Holy Spirit, and he gives us abilities that go far beyond our natural abilities. I believe that. So God has called us as a community to be committed to his spirit, to expect the impossible, to expect God to show up. We're not just coming together to do a little church group, okay? That's not what this is. This is a group that is meeting with God, 
okay? The God who's over the hundreds of billions of galaxies, I say that every week, but I want you to get that in your head. I want you to understand that. He's over all of these galaxies. He is hanging the stars. That God shows up here on Tuesday night. And if that's what happens, if God himself shows up here, then maybe some things that are supernatural should happen. So I'm praying that God would lead us into that. I pray that God would lead us into being a group that, that sees the supernatural. So 1 Corinthians 12, if you're wondering what are these spiritual gifts, I just want to read them for you. Verses 4 through 11 says this. It says there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. So that's just a situation where God might give you supernatural wisdom. Like there's something that you know to encourage someone with, like to give them advice that you shouldn't know. Like you know something about their situation, all of a sudden you're like, hey, I just feel like God's telling me to tell you, don't change your major. But you don't even know that they're thinking about that. Like something like that. That would be an example. And then the utterance of knowledge would be something like you know something happened in their life or that something's going on. Maybe that person prayed, God, if you're really real, then have someone come to me and tell me that you're real. And all of a sudden you just know, I need to tell that person that God is real. Then you come and you share that with them and it changes their life because they know that God heard them and then God spoke to you for them. But if you don't obey God, if you don't do what he told you to do, then that uh, supernatural thing won't happen. Okay, so that's just to explain that a bit. And we could talk about that for 45 minutes. And to another faith by the same spirit, God gives supernatural faith. To another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To, To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Okay, so God has called us to this. God has called us to be people who seek these gifts. God's called us to be a people who seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we're invited into this. We're invited to be like the early church. We don't have to do it on our own. God said, I've given you supernatural power through the Holy Spirit. I've given you the ability to live the life that I've called you to live, the supernatural life. So we don't have to settle for being, or just being mediocre or just doing daily routines, but, but God's called us into something greater than that. So maybe you're nervous about this. You're like, whoa, like, how does that work? Like, like, how do I know if it's not my own thoughts or God's thoughts? You know, maybe you're worried that you won't hear from God or you might not operate rightly in this. That's a worry I have a lot. Like, when I get something, I'm like, oh, that could have been something I thought of. Is that God or not? And here's what I want to say. God is gracious, okay? God is gracious. So he allows us to kind of figure these things out. He allows us to learn how to hear his voice. Maybe you get something, you feel like it's from God, and you tell someone, hey, I feel like God told me to tell you this, and it's just wacko. And the person's like, no, I'm sorry. That's not it. God's not going to smite you. He's not going to say, kill that person. No, he's going to say, hey, good job. You stepped out in faith. You know, faith is a big part of the Christian faith, if you don't know that. And then he's going to help you in the future. You'll know that's probably not God's voice when I feel that certain way or whatever. Okay, so like within some guardrails, so I'm not going to let you come up and grab the mic and be like, hey, I got a word. Before telling me what it is, I'm going to say, tell me what it is first. Let's see if it's from the Lord. So within guardrails, God's called us to learn to exercise these gifts. Does that make sense? And I can't, like I could preach a whole series about this, but I just wanted to kind of cast vision for you. So there's part of that. So part of being committed to the spirit is the spiritual gifts and the supernatural, but also it's worship. You know, worship. Why do we do worship every week? Why do we have songs? Well, Acts 2.47 says this. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. So they praised God. As a community, we want to welcome the presence of God and the Spirit of God 
into our meetings with worship. We want to worship with everything we have. We don't want to be emotionless when we worship. And if you're like a really emotionless person, then maybe your worship won't be that emotional. That's just the way you're made. But if you're an emotional person, like you're always getting worked up about everything, and then you come here and you're like, meh, then you're probably not worshiping because your personality says that you would be a little excited. If God truly saved you, you might want to get excited about that. Like if you go to the football games and you paint your chest and you scream for you and I, then you can maybe get excited for God, okay? If it was the Hawkeyes, maybe I would get it. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't. I don't like the Hawkeyes. But anyways, if it was like the NFL, okay, but you and I, you get really pumped for it, then you can get pumped for the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? Like we get so pumped about sports. We get so pumped about the new music that's coming out. We get so pumped about our favorite restaurant, all these different things. We can get a little excited about God, all right? So worship should be a little energetic, but I'll give you some grace because I know some of you are just really quiet. And that's the, kind of natural for you just to be quiet. So that makes sense. I'm not saying you have to do a certain thing, but I'm saying be true to your personality and truly express your love for God. Express your love for God in the way that you'd express your love for a person that you really care about. The Bible talks about worshiping God in both spirit and truth. And that's something we're passionate about at Kappa. We want to worship with truth like we talked about at the beginning. Like we want to have right theology. Like we want to believe what the scriptures say. But also we want to worship with spirit. We want to just give God everything we have. We want to be able to hold these two things in tension and say we worship in spirit and in truth. All right. So the fourth thing and final thing is this. We're devoted to the mission of God. And we talked about that for three weeks. You're like, well, we're talking about mission again. We're talking about stepping out of our comfort zone again and sharing our faith yeah, we're going to keep talking about it because it's important. It's a core value of Chi Alpha is this idea of being on mission for God. Acts 2.47 says this. It says, praising God, having favor with all the people. And then it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is God's heart for our group, that there be people being added to our community daily. I'm praying that that would happen where people would be added to the kingdom daily, that people would come to know Jesus on a daily basis on our campus in Saban Hall and Schindler and Noren and Bender, even in Bender and Campbell. I'm just kidding. There's nothing wrong with Bender. And Gilcrest, whatever. People are coming to know Jesus because the people of God are operating with the Spirit of God and bringing the truth of God to the campus. I'm praying that that would happen, that people would come to know Jesus. You know, that's God's heart. Luke 19 verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man, which is Jesus, came to seek and save that which was lost. That is God's heart, to save those who are far from him. And if we are truly going to be the people of God on the campus of you and I, we better be about people. We can't just be about each other. We can't just be inward focused. Like, oh, I just want to go deep. Yeah, we want to go deep, but we also want to go wide. We want to go reach out to people who are far from God. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. This is the fourth week in a row I've read this now. Praise God, because it's important. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That was the great commission. That was the mission that Jesus gave us, to make disciples, to baptize them, baptize, that's part of it, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then to teach them how to follow him. So God has called us into that on the campus, to disciple this campus. This isn't a burden. If you're excited about it, it'll happen naturally. If you really love Jesus, it will happen naturally. Just like I said, if you love your favorite football team, or if you love that, uh, like that brand new app on your phone, like the new iOS update, you're pumped about it, you're going to tell people about it. You're going to be like, this is really cool. So just go do that. Say, Jesus is really cool. Like, like, I may not know the Bible that well yet, but he's awesome, and you should come meet him. There you go. You just witnessed. 
It's not that hard. If you're excited about it, if you really love Jesus, it will come naturally. All right. And some ways you can practically do this too, I guess being on missions, you can invite people to Chi Alpha. It's a safe place to come for people to come and explore God. Some people come here and they explore and they say, hey, it's not for me right now. And they don't come back and that's totally fine. Invite people to come check out what God's doing here. You know, you can also uh, share Jesus with your lips. You know, actually tell people about Jesus in your classrooms. When people come on Tuesday nights and they're new, you should welcome them with open arms, be loving towards them. These are just some practical ways you can be on mission. You know, one thing I want to encourage every small group to do, I'm going to challenge you to this from the pulpit. I encourage you, like maybe not this week, but sometime when there's some doors open on your floor during your small group, go and invite those kids who have their doors open to come to your small group. Say, hey, come hang out with us tonight. You know, we can't technically solicit and knock on doors, but if those doors are open, the Holy Spirit's open a door, all right? So go ask them to come, and they might not come. That's part of being God's people. We have to be on mission. We have to refuse the temptation to become inward focused, like whether as a community or individually. Like we can't let our classes, our social life, or anything take us off the mission that God has called us to. All right, so the main idea tonight, again, is this. You know, summing it all up tonight. So we're called to follow Jesus together in devotion to his truth, to his community, to his spirit, and to his mission. So four commitments. We're committed to the word of God. We're committed to the people of God. We're committed to the spirit of God. And we're committed to the mission of God. And here's what I know. I know that there's people like in a variety of different places tonight. Some of you grew up in church. Like, like you know the whole thing. Like you've been a part of it. And like, like none of this is really new to you. You know, some of you, on the other hand, you might have grown up in church, but, you know, when I talk about tongues and stuff like that, you're like, what is he talking about? I didn't even know that was in the Bible. That's okay. Just explore it with us. We're not saying you have to believe that. Just go on a journey with us tonight. There's some of you who you're not a Christian at all. You've never been in church, or maybe you've just started checking church out. And I want to encourage you as well. Like, it's okay to begin to, to dip your toes into the community of God. That's how you... I really believe that's how you become a Christian. Like, I don't believe it's individualized. I don't believe it's something where it's like, hey, like, I, like sometimes it happens that way where you have an experience by yourself, but a lot of times you're just, you jump into a community that's following Jesus and you realize, hey, I want to do this too. And you become a follower of Jesus. So I pray that you would maybe dip your toes in and you would see what the community of God is all about. And for those of you tonight that you don't know who Jesus is or maybe you've heard of him, you've seen him, on the internet, like you've seen his picture, he's white, which he's not white. You see that on the internet, though, you're like, who's this weird guy with long blonde hair that was supposedly born in Israel? No, that's not Jesus. Just let me take a second and tell you about him. Jesus, you know, we talked about all the supernatural things about the Bible and how it's been preserved, but Jesus was a man, okay? Like, fully man, fully God. And, and he's been with God the Father and God the Spirit for all of eternity, Jesus has been with God the Father, God the Spirit for all of eternity, but humans, like you and I, we messed up. We blew it. You know, if you ever heard the story of Adam and Eve, we took from the tree and we ate the apple. You ever heard that? Maybe not, but the point is we sinned. We separated ourselves from God. And Romans 3.23 says that, the way, actually 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what happened was we did that, and then God was on a rescue mission, all right, so to speak. 
And in about 4 BC, so four years before Christ, which sounds funny because that's when Christ was born. But anyways, 4 BC, Christ is born. So he's in the Trinity. He's with God the Father, God the Spirit. He comes as a human, as a baby. He's born in a manger, which Christmas is coming up. And you should maybe try to wrap your head around that. God being born in a manger, like, that's crazy. That's crazy love right there. And then Jesus, just like us, or lives a human life. He you know, has to get potty trained. He has to do all that stuff. He's a human being, just like us. Like, he has the same struggles we have, but he never sins once. He never sins once. And then when he's about 30 years old, God calls him to be the person that he's been called to be, which is to be the rescuer, to be the savior of people. And he begins to preach. He begins to heal people. He raises people from the dead. He casts out demons. Supernatural things happen in his ministry. People are following him. People are excited about it. And then three years later, they decide to to crucify and to put him on a cross. But the thing is, is those people, those religious leaders who put him on the cross, they thought that they were putting down this rebellion. They thought they were putting down this thing that was going to subvert Judaism and subvert the Roman Empire. But instead, they were actually doing what God destined them to do from the very beginning, which was to put Jesus on the cross so he could pay the price for our sins. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he paid the wage of sin, which is death. So now all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus and his righteousness will be credited to our account. So now when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but instead he sees Jesus because Jesus already paid the penalty for our crimes. Jesus already paid the penalty for our sins. And then it doesn't stop there. He gets put in a tomb for three days, and then he like, totally rises from the dead. All right? That's crazy. He rises from the dead, and he defeats deaths and hell in the grave. He, Jesus renders it defeated for all of eternity. And now... Since then, this church has been coming together and this church has been growing. It's been expanding all over the world. The Christian church is on every continent. There's a time in history where the church was most prevalent in Europe and North America, and now it's rising in South America, in Africa, and Asia. This church works in every culture. And Jesus called the church to be his expression of his kingdom on the earth and to continue preaching this message that if you put your faith in Jesus, you'll be saved. So tonight I'm asking you, if you're not a Christian, to consider jumping into that story, to consider putting your faith in Jesus and being a part of the greatest story that's ever been told.